Uh, you can go ahead and turn in your Bibles to First John. I'm glad there wasn't a groan there because we, we preached through First John. I already preached through First John, so this is a very familiar text to us, uh, but it's very different than the last time I preached it. Uh, and I want, I want you to hear um, the word of the Lord. So First John chapter one. This is what this is what God's word says. Starting in verse five. First John chapter one, starting in verse five. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. And you can jump down to verse, chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Let's pray. God, as we consider now fellowship with you, I pray that our hearts would be just warmed by the love and affection that you have in Jesus Christ for sinners. But Lord, not only that our hearts would be warmed toward you, I pray that our hearts would be warmed toward one another. That, Lord, the divine reality that we step into, that you have purchased, that you have bought for us, that we would step into it and we would live as people who live in fellowship with you and with one another. God, help us, we pray. We need you. This is a divine reality. This isn't what we do on our own. We need you, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So the title for today's message is, is called um, Church Matters. We're, we're, I'm continuing this series. I don't like series typically. I'd rather just preach verse by verse. But I, I think um, there's just some church, church-related issues that we're going to continue to be addressing and whatnot the next couple weeks. But this one I wanted to address this week was called Fellowship with One Another. Um, and you might be like, well fellowship. Here we are again. We've already preached through this in First John, uh, but if you listen back uh, to those messages, uh, you'd find they were very different uh, than today, like I said. What if I told you that the biggest hindrance to fellowship in this church, or, or maybe, maybe I should ask that question before I say this. What would you say is the biggest hindrance is to the fellowship in this church? Is it, is it the world? What about what about um, what about anything politics? No, no politics. Okay. What if I told you that the biggest hindrance to fellowship in this church and every church is you and me? 
Like the biggest, the biggest problem that walks in this church every Sunday that hinders fellowship, has the potential to hinder fellowship in this body every single week is me, is you. If everyone walked in and believed that, that every person's greatest hindrance to fellowship in the church is themselves. What would you think about that? Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a couple years ago, I read a book by him called Life Together, and it was profound. I did not realize how much I had hindered fellowship in my church, that me personally had hindered fellowship. And I'll explain how. This is what he says. He says, now he quotes, and he says, this is from Life Together, this is what he says. He says, one who wants more than what Christ has established does not want Christian brotherhood. Listen to what he goes on to say. He is looking for some extraordinary social experience which he has not found elsewhere. He is bringing muddled and impure desires into Christian brotherhood. Then he goes on and he says, In Christian brotherhood, everything depends upon its its being clearly right from the beginning. And then he says, First, that Christian brotherhood is not an ideal, but a divine reality. And then second, that Christian brotherhood is a spiritual, not a psychic reality. What Bonhoeffer means is that the brotherhood or the fellowship is a divine reality. You know, here's something amazing, and I, it took me a long time to learn this. I still, I still struggle with this, even. <laughs> I don't create community. Did you know that? The pastor doesn't create community? That me and you actually don't create community? I hope that's actually like a really good like, like weight off of you. You don't create community. You participate in it. It's a divine reality that, that we don't create, but it, it happens. Listen to what he goes on to say. The man who fashions a visionary ideal of community demands that it be realized by God, by others, and by himself. He enters the community of Christians with his demands, sets up his own laws, and judges the brethren and God himself accordingly. And let me give you some examples. I'll give you one from my own life. I used to approach church as though, well, we need to, have, we need to be having certain kind of conversations. They need to, they need to be like talking about the, the, your, your inner hurts maybe. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it, the moment I did that, the moment I walk into this body and I expect certain conversations to be happening, what I do is I walk around and I judge everyone, everyone else by my law that I've set up. Do you see how, how quick this happens? Here, let me give you some other ways. You've, he- you've heard these. You've heard these. We've all heard these. We maybe even have said these ourselves. I came to church, but nobody greeted me like I wanted them to. What happens with that? Now, sometimes, hear me, that's true. <laughs> like, the church is really bad. We need to greet people who are not part of the body. But in my experience, what's actually really unfortunate is what people mean a lot of times when they say that is they didn't greet me like I wanted greeted. They didn't greet me like I hoped that they would greet me. Do you hear in that? We've, we've come, now we've set up our own law, and now we've said, I want to be greeted this way. Not too much. Not, not, don't get too impersonal with me, but just a little bit. <laughs> Do you see? Or, or maybe it sounds like this. I came to church, but they kicked me out because I wasn't walking rightly. I heard this same, argue, I heard this same discussion just this week, and you, you start talking to them a little bit, and you're like, oh, you got kicked out of the church. Why? What happened? Well, I, I started sleeping with my boyfriend. It's like, 
well, do you realize that's sin? And they're like, well, well yeah. It's like, do you see, like that, that quickly? Now they've set up a law. But what does the Bible say about fellowship? Well, the Bible says much about fellowship. And it's this word, and I'm, I, I hate doing this. I don't like talking about Greek words, because Greek words aren't any more holy than English words. But oftentimes, the, the New Testament was written in Greek. And I'm going to give you a Greek word today. And I want you to know it, because I'm, I'm not going to do this very often. But the word today is for fellowship. And it's the word koinonia. You're going to hear it a lot. You don't need to remember it right now. It's called koinonia. And I want you to notice, jump down to verse 5, what he says in 1 John. This is what he says. This is the message we've heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. So I want us to start, if you're taking notes there, just, just see that God's fellowship first, God's koinonia is first with himself. Okay? So if you're taking notes, it's, it's God's fellowship is within himself. Now, if you jump back, if you're looking at 1 John there, just a few verses prior, this is what he says in verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we've heard, which we've seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and touched with our hands, which is Jesus. That's what he's referring back to. The one we, we touched, the one we saw with our eyes, the one we heard from. He's talking about a message, and he calls it there in verse 1, concerning the word of life. And so if you're taking notes there, it's that, it's that second piece. This is the word of life. And this word of life is Jesus, the one whom God the Father looked down on us and said, I'm going to send my son to die for sinners. And this is what John goes on to say. This is the word of life. This is what he says. The life was made manifest or it was revealed. We've seen it. We testify to it. We proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. Now, that's the apostles. He was with the Father. Think about that for a second. Here's Jesus. Jesus the word of life. He says he was with the Father, and now he's shared him with us. The fellowship, the koinonia that God shared with himself. (laughs) When we think about fellowship in this body, we can never just think about this body. We need to first think about the fellowship that God shared within himself before anything was created, before time itself. God was in fellowship God intimately knew himself. And that intimate knowing, he said, here you go. (laughs) He said, here you go. Listen to what he says in verse 3. That which we've seen and heard, we proclaim to you so that you too may, there it is again, have koinonia with us. Do you hear it? So this message is not only just Jesus. He's saying, here's the message, now you all. Me and you are all invited in so that we may have koinonia. And indeed, our koinonia is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. So this, when I talk about fellowship, guys, fellowship has nothing to do with us first and foremost. Our koinonia, our fellowship, our intimate union with one another has everything to do with God. That word koinonia, it's a... I'm going to just keep saying it, so if it gets annoying, just know I really want you to know it. 
It's a word about a close relationship, an intimate knowing of one another. It's actually the word that our English word, community, is based off of. The word community at its root level is based off this word koinonia, and it's very, very important. And I want you to see, so we, so we see that God, he's, he's in fellowship, he's in koinonia with himself. He's also something else, though. I want, you, I want you to notice what he goes on to say in verse 5. Now go back, jump back to verse 5. Now you've got to remember, John is writing to a people, he's, he's defending the gospel against what's called Gnosticism, okay? So Gnosticism, again, we, I'm not going to cover it a bunch. We've talked about it before. Gnosticism was this idea that there was secret knowledge that you needed. And he's saying, no, 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 no. The, the message of the gospel is proclaimed. Everyone knows it. But I want you to notice what he says of God there in verse 5 again. He says, this is the message we've heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And I want you to see that, that God is first and foremost committed to himself. And I put in parentheses there, holy. Okay? When we talk about the holiness of God, what we mean is God's utter committedness to himself. Let me show you what I mean, just for instance. Here, this is just a few examples from the Old Testament. Uh, in, in the story of the Exodus, before Moses was sent back to Egypt, uh, Exodus 3, God comes near to him. He comes to him in a burning bush, and this is what he says. Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you're standing is holy ground. Wait a second. <laughs> so, so why is this ground holy? Was this dirt just a little more special than that dirt over there? No, no, no. This dirt was committed unto the Lord's purposes. It's the same thing that happens every time a pot, we talk about like pots and vessels for the Old Testament, they're called holy. How are they holy? They don't have some magic juju on them called holiness, okay? They're committed unto the Lord's purposes. Now, the number one word that's used to describe God in the trifecta purposes, the trifecta in that way, is holy, holy, holy. God's holy, holy, holy. He's wholly committed to himself. Or you have the people of Israel. God says to them, go to my people and consecrate them today. There it is. Back to it again. They're holy. Consecrate them unto the holiness. And that word for holy is just being committed to oneself. And you know what's funny? When, if I was committed to myself, it would be as though I'm just like warped in upon myself. I would be a very self-centered person. But God, when he's committed to himself, look what comes out. Look at verse 5, what he says again. This is the message we've heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light. You know, when I'm committed to myself, you know what comes out? Darkness. When you're committed to yourself, you know what comes out? Selfishness. Darkness. <laughs> Wickedness foolishness. You know what comes out when God's committed unto himself, when he's holy, holy, holy? Light. Purity. Purity. Light. No darkness at all, is what he says. Completely pure. The plumb line of morality. So God set, or John sets up the standard for us. He tells us, this is what God's like. He is committed to himself, and he's beautiful. He's light in that way. But then he says, remember back what he said in verse 3. He said, so that our koinonia, you may have koinonia with us, and indeed our koinonia is with the Father. 
So I want you to see that God is not just light and purity in himself. He's inviting us into the light. He's saying to little cockroaches of humanity, come into the light. Get out of the darkness, come into the light. So I want us to see our fellowship with the triune God. Our fellowship with the triune God. Now again, that word for koinonia is, again, from the word community. Now you can think about, I want you to think about maybe some, some worldly communities, if you would, for a second. So take a football team. I used to play football. Nothing wrong with football. I love football. Football's great. But the thing that brings people that play football together is, no surprise, football. That's what they're all there for. No, like the cheerleaders, they're there for football. They're doing something different, but they're there for football. The concession stand, they're there not to make hot dogs. They're there for football. <laughs> Baseball, take the same thing. They're there. They're gathered around an object. Everyone does it. Every community gathers around an object. Family. Bingo. Bingo even. Bingo even gathers around an object. They all do different things, but they gather around an object. The problem is, is when the church begins to gather around something that's not the object that makes the church the church, which is why people have such a hard time describing what is a church, because they think, well, well, a church, we do good things, and we go out into the community. True, we do that. Many people can do that. The Rotary Club can do that. Nothing wrong with it. The church is unique because we gather around God. We gather around the message of Jesus. We gather around a person. We fellowship, we take table around a person. We have Queen Aenea around a person. And then John gives us several things that will absolutely destroy our fellowship. I want you to notice what he goes on to say. So he's, he not only says, we, our fellowship is with the triune God, and he says, here's, here's three tips to destroying that fellowship and destroying our fellowship. Here they are. The first is denying that sin breaks our fellowship. And some of these are easy. I mean, I'm, I don't think today's message is complicated. It's very, very simple. It's denying that sin breaks our fellowship. And this is what he says in verse 6. If we say we have koinonia with him, we have intimate fellowship with him, while we walk in darkness, we lie and don't, and don't practice the truth. Hear that again. So here's what we're saying. We're saying we have fellowship with God. We have intimate relationship with God. And then you look at our life, and all that pours forth is darkness. I've heard many talk of Christianity as, well, that's even just this past week. My Christianity, it's, it's a private matter. It's a private matter. That's what they always say. Christianity, it's a private matter. Now, hear me right. Relationship with Jesus is a personal endeavor. But brothers and sisters, relationship with Jesus is not private, okay? It's not private. It's personal. It's not private. And he's saying that when we walk in sin, it is like We are telling a lie about who God's like. We lie and don't practice the truth. I want you to think about sinning for a second, or this darkness, what some of these dark things could be. Let me give you some examples. Let's start with the first. Let's say a man goes home and speaks harshly with his wife, okay? Goes home, speaks harshly with his wife. What pours out of him is darkness. 
you can see pretty quickly how that affects the community, right? He's, he's not speaking well to his wife. He's, he's harming his wife in that sense. That's, he's, he's tearing her down where he ought to be building her up. You can see very quickly how that, that harms the community. But then they start getting more private sins. And I would contend to you, no matter how private a sin is, it, in small ways at least, destroys the community. I want to say that one more time. That sin, all sin, no matter how private, destroys koinonia. It destroys it. Let me say lying, lying, lying on a time card. This happened all the time when I was at ABL. Not with me, but you'd see other people doing it. If a Christian goes to work, tells his boss, well, no, that's actually not the amount of time I worked. Boss knows it. He's fluffing his time card. In that moment, he's thinking, well, I'm getting away with it. No one knows about it. But what's happening is the boss knows. Then the boss sees, oh, look, this guy claims he's a Christian. And in that moment, what happens is that boss hears of a man who says, I have fellowship with God. And then he sees darkness. And all he can think is, well, God must be like that. God must be dark. Let me give you another one that's even more personal. Take pornography. This, is, this runs rampant in our culture. This runs rampant in our society. And unfortunately, it runs rampant among Christians. May it never and people think, wow, what's the problem with it? It's so private. It doesn't hurt anybody. Absolutely, it hurts people. Every time we sin privately, even in the most private of manners, what it does is it hinders our walk with God, which then hinders, if for nothing else, it allows us to neglect our brothers and sisters. It allows us to, to think only on us, rather on one another. And in that moment, Koinonia is, is crushed. It's crushed under. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians. He says the same thing. The passage that's always linked with unequally yoked. Everyone knows about the believers and unbelievers shouldn't be married in that way. Here's why. 2 Corinthians 6, this is what he says. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Now, we always go back to that passage, and it's true. It's right. We always think, well, he's just talking about marriage here in 2 Corinthians 6. Actually, he's talking about false teaching. Here's why. Notice what he goes on to say. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership, and that word partnership is again, is koinonia. What partnership, what koinonia has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what koinonia has light with darkness? That's his whole point here. He says, what on earth could the darkness have fellowship with the light? Unbelievers and believers cannot have koinonia. They can, they can be united. We can be united about baseball. I love baseball. We can be united about football. We can be united about farming and, and all sorts of things. But we can't have true fellowship. There's something uniquely different about koinonia as John describes it. Listen to just one other place. 1 Timothy 4, he says, Now the Spirit says, expressly says, In latter times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and the teaching of demons. And you may think, well, what's, what's the teaching of demons? That sounds really terrible, right? Notice what he goes on to say. Through the hypocrisy. It's the insincerity, but it's the hypocrisy. Those claiming, I have fellowship with God while walking in darkness. He says, through the hypocrisy of liars whose consciences are seared. Here's the teaching of demons. Notice it. Verse 3, 
who forbid marriage and require abstinence from food that God's created to be received with thanksgiving. Do you see it right there? How, how now they're saying, they're coming into the community saying, hey, you guys shouldn't be married. You guys need to, we all need to eat the same diet. They come into the community and they create darkness. The darkness seeps into the community in that way. Let's keep going on though. So that's, that's the hypocrisy. That's claiming you have fellowship with God while walking in darkness. Here's the second one. Let me give you the second one. Denying that sin exists in us. It's denying that sin exists in us. Now, notice what he says in verse 8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. This is claiming that we no longer now have the sin nature. This is like saying, ultimately, I would describe this as the sin of perfectionism. And it's gross because it tempts us to believe that we somehow live in a state of perfection. And it's just not true. Take somebody like the Pharisee and the tax collector. The Pharisee hears, hears the, sees, sees the tax collector praying over there. Listen to what he says. Two men went up into the temple. This is Luke 18. You don't have to turn there. It's on the screen. Two men went up into the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, the religious leader, and the other a tax collector. And the Pharisee, standing far off by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you. I'm not like other men extortioners, unjust, adulterers, even like this tax collector. Do you hear it right there? The sin of perfectionism. He says, look, look, Lord, I'm not like this guy. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all I get. But what the tax collector, what's he do? Standing far off, he wouldn't even lift his eyes to heaven. He says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus says, that guy is going down to his house justified, not the other. So for, for John, when he says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive who? We don't deceive our neighbor. We don't deceive anybody else. Deception. You know who deception, deception deceives? This is really a st- simple statement. Deception deceives me. Deception deceives you. Deception doesn't deceive anybody else. Everyone else sees it. No one else sees it. It deceives me. But let me give you the third category. And I would just say this one, this last one is just for every unbeliever. It's denying that we actually sinned. It's denying that we actually sinned in the past even. Denying that, that we actually sinned. Listen to what he says in verse 10. If we say we have not sinned, notice what this is, and this is true of every unbeliever. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Now, I would just put this very simply to, this is what is the state of every unbeliever. And every unbeliever is walking around calling God a liar all the time, perpetually in a state of saying, God, you are a liar. And John says that this person, the word of God, does not even dwell in. But there's hope. This is really bleak, but I want you to see that in each of these tests, each of these things he lays before us, so the fact that, so let me go back over them real quick, sorry. Um, The fact that denying that sin breaks fellowship, the denying that sin exists in us, and denying that we actually sinned, all three of these break fellowship. They break koinonia. And each of them, God says, come back. (laughs) 
I want you to see it. I want you to know it. I want you to believe it. Because I guarantee you, if you think, well, I'm not in any one of those three categories, I want to say, remember the deceived part? You're, 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 you're going to be in one of those three categories eventually. And the beauty of the gospel is that when you find yourself in those places, you come back. You come back time and time and time and time again. To only focus on what Jesus has done without considering how we're to live is to do what Bonhoeffer called cheap grace. But equally wrong is a kind of moralistic exhortation that does not bring us back to the gospel. So I want us to notice now our fellowship with one another. Our fellowship with one another. This is what he says. Now I want you to go back. Those same verses, I'm going to go and we're going to look at them, the truth behind it. Our fellowship with one another. Notice what he says about our fellowship in verse 6. He says, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie. Not he. He doesn't lie. We lie and don't practice the truth. Now notice how the truth there, just so we're clear. The truth there is actually something we practice. It's not just something we know. It's something we practice. We live. Notice what he says. Here's the alternative. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have koinonia with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So this first piece I want you to see is walking, walking in the truth. It's walking in the truth. The alternative to walking in darkness is to walk in light. It's to walk in purity and holiness, commitment unto the Lord. This is to walk by faith in the Son of God. And it's in this fellowship, this koinonia, that we cannot have with unbelievers. I have many, many close, unbelieving friends. And I love them dearly. I pray for them often. We can talk about gaming. We can talk about football. We can talk about everything under the sun. But when we come to Jesus, there's always this huge barrier. And it's the fact that there's no fellowship. And that breaks my heart. I hope it breaks your heart. I hope it breaks your heart. And I hope we're continually saying to the unbelieving friend, the unbelieving spouse, the unbelieving person in our life, come to Christ. Come, come see the glory of Jesus. Notice what he says in 2 Corinthians 7. I just want to go back here to this this idea of false teaching, that we can't have fellowship with unbelievers. He says in verse 7, or verse 1 of chapter 7, here's what he tells them to do then. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Since we have the promises, we have them. He says, cleanse yourselves. Get rid of the darkness. Stop being a cockroach in the dark, hiding your sin. Come into the light. Come into the light of the gospel. It includes walking in the truth. So that's the first thing I want you to see. I want you to see, secondly, it's to walk in confession. Walking in confession. Notice what he says. Jump down to verse 8 and 9. He says, if we say we have no sin, there it is again. Here's what we say. When we say, oh, I, I don't have a sin nature, what are you talking about? He said, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But notice this verse. I read, if there's one verse of Scripture I read on a weekly basis, it's this one. Notice what he says. 
But if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So it's to walk, it's walking in confession. I don't know if you've ever had the experience, some of our students, I was talking to some of them this week, and they were talking about the experience of being in a cave. It's actually really cool. I don't know if you've ever had the experience of being in a cave, but they talk about, and there really is a thing called like cave darkness, that when you're in a cave, it's actually so dark that you can't even see your hand in front of your face. It's so dark. And that's what sin wants us to go. And it's disorienting. It's really confusing. It makes you feel really weird. You can see, you can't even see your hand in front of your face. And this is what walking in sin and rejecting our own sin nature does to us as Christians. It puts us in the deep, dark cave and the light is veiled. But oh, friends, what a friend we have in Jesus, that song there's a line that always reminds me. He says, what a friend we have in Jesus. Oh, what needless pains we bear. Here's the needless pains we bear. We're like the people stuck in a cave, can't see the hand in front of our face, but we have a flashlight in our pocket that's turned off. And the flashlight in our pocket, do you know what it is? It's confession. Confession is the vehicle that brings out the light. There's no one, I want to say this again, there is no one too far from the gospel. There is absolutely nobody. Confession is the vehicle. We get in and we say, I have wronged. I am in the wrong. Please forgive me. Brother, sister, this is how I sinned. Pray for me. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and right to forgive us our sins. We live in an age, I would call it the age of transparency, quote-unquote, that loves to be transparent. We all run around trying to be super transparent, and we're tempted to think as Christians that being transparent is equal to being Christians or being confessional in that way. We go around just telling everybody about all our sin, oh, I've sinned in this way, i sinned in that way. But I would argue that as Christians, rather than seeking transparency, we should just seek to be honest with people. So when a brother or sister looks at us and says, hey, brother, how are you doing? Just don't lie to him. (laughs) How about just tell him the truth? Just be honest with them over time. Rather than trying to be transparent, let's just be honest with each other. Listen to what James 5 then says. James 5, 16. I'll just read this one. Therefore, confess your sins with your mouth. Say, I've sinned in this way to one another. Now notice the other piece to it. And pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. When we confess our sins to one another, it's like turning on a mag light in a cave. The cave of our darkness is expelled and we're able to come back to Christ. It's the same thing that happened in the book of Acts. When, when, when literally Paul's doing miracles, he's preaching the gospel. Listen to what Acts 19 describes happening. Many of those who were believers now came confessing and divulging their practices. We, we, we sin in this way and in that way and in this way. And notice what they do in verse 19. And a number of those who practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. This isn't something, confession's not something we go to a priest for. Confession's something we go to our brothers and sisters for. 
So when we wrong one another, when we, when we hurt one another, the gospel demands it, we go to them and we confess our wrong to them. So that's the second piece, walking in confession. I want you to notice the last element of fellowship. And I think it's, I'm not sure, but I think it might be the most beautiful. <laughs> Maybe it is, I don't know. First John 1.10, notice what that last, that last verse in chapter 1 says. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar. I'm going to say that again. We make, this is what every unbeliever is doing. They're making God out to be a liar, and his word is not in them. But listen to the sweet welcome that he tells them in verse, verse 1 of chapter 2. My little children, I'm not writing these things to you so that you may not, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate. We have a paraclete with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. So I want you to see this last element of fellowship. Quinonia is walking to the advocate. It's walking to the advocate. Now, every Christian, to be a Christian, means that we have first ourselves walked to the advocate. But Christian fellowship, this is why Christian fellowship is so glorious. Because we have the opportunity, when a brother and sister comes to us and says, brother, I've sinned, here's how I've sinned, it grieves me. We can look at them and we can say, I understand. Let me lead you back to the advocate. Let me lead you back to the one, who the only one who he does what he does in verse 2. He's the propitiation, the covering for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Listen to Bonhoeffer again. It is not the experience of Christian brotherhood. This is, this is profound. Hear this. It's not the experience of Christian brotherhood, but solid, certain faith in brotherhood that holds us together. Do you hear that again? I want you to hear it one more time. It's not mine and yours experience of Christian brotherhood. It's the fact that we can go, you are my brother. Christ Jesus has united us as our greater brother, all of us. That's what holds us together. For Jesus Christ alone is our unity. He is our peace. Through Him alone do we have access to one, to one another. Joy in one another. And f- fellowship or koinonia there with one another. I love what Psalm 133, what Isaiah read this morning. I love it. Listen to the words that he says again. Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like precious oil running down on the, and this is not, this is not like beard oil, okay? We're talking about like anointing oil on the face of Aaron, running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. And I want you to picture that the reason why that, that's a kind of a strange metaphor, but picture a very desert-like experience. Dry skin, I don't, I don't get dry skin very often, but when I do, it's really annoying Picture somebody rubbing anointed, beautiful smelling oil upon a dry, dry, barren land. That's what verse 3 is talking about too. It's like dew on the Mount of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord commands the blessing, live forever. And I love what Bonhoeffer, he, he modifies Psalm 133.1, and he says, Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity, 
together through Christ. Through Christ. It's leading our brothers and sisters back to the throne of grace. When we struggle in our sin, we don't simply wallow in our sin and just say, man, I'm struggling week after week after week after week after week after week after week. I'm struggling. Same sins. Never confess them. Never, nothing's changed. That's not what it looks like. It's coming to one another and saying, brother, sister, pray for me. Pray for me. Take me back to the advocate. And we may still struggle. I'm not, I don't ever want to paint a picture that the Christian community is a, a community that doesn't, doesn't struggle. I think hypocrisy is one of the, the saddest is one of the saddest realities for the church. And the reason is because we tell everyone else what God is like. What we tell them is we need to all look like we have it together rather than actually showing what we're like and coming to the Father. Do you see the difference? If we, what if we showed as a church? What if rather than trying to hide our struggles, we said to one another, I'm struggling in X, Y, and Z. Now, we don't need to make up things. I'm not saying we need to go over the top but what we do need to do is confess our sins to one another. Listen to, again, I want you to hear just as we close. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate. An advocate. That word for advocate is the same word that's used in a legal defense of one who stands before a judge and says, that one's mine. That one's mine. That one, the blood, the my blood, it goes to that one. <laughs> we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. If you get nothing else from today, get this. It's at the top of your page. Jesus anchors our fellowship with God and one another. Fellowship, or koinonia, is walking in the truth, confessing your sins to one another, and leading each other to the advocate. May God help us in this endeavor. I want us to turn now, and I want us to actually take communion together. Now, if there could be a more clear picture of koinonia, I, think, I don't think there's one. This is the clearest picture you could have. Uh, so if we could have uh, the deacons come forward. Yeah, Tony and Norman, if you guys want to come forward. 